There is a paradox to the message of the cross. A paradox, of course, being different truths that seem opposed to each other, but both being equally true. The first half of that equation is found in the prophecy of Isaiah that says that he has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. The first part of the paradox is the outrage that we feel as believers at the injustice and the blindness of people who should have known who Jesus was, and yet, either blindly or through outright arrogance and rebellion, chose to uh, put him down. And that's illustrated by John's prologue in the Gospel, where he says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And we, as Americans, are used to outrage. The news media feeds off our outrage. And, and so we say, what? How could the Jewish people have been so blind? When the Old Testament scriptures were so clear, and Jesus himself many times referred to this blindness, and he referred to a vineyard uh, that... Uh, a rich man had planted and he had leased it out to caretakers and then when it came time for harvest he sent uh, his servants um, and finally he sent his son but the caretakers beat them rejected them and then killed his son and so uh, we wonder why the Jewish priest did not rush to Bethlehem when the wise men asked the question uh, where is he to be born And all throughout the Lord's ministry, uh, the Lord was dealing with false expectations. Uh, This past Sunday, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, where the expectation was earthly power and glory, rather than the spiritual freedom that he came to bring. So, in this paradox of the cross, we have the utmost sarcasm, humiliation, degradation being heaped upon our Lord, the Lord of glory. And in the passage that we read, dealing with the rejection of Christ, we could start with the Roman soldiers and speak of the tremendous irony of enlisted men who are crucifying the commander of the angelic host. To a tree. We think of the priests who are there saying the most vile things, the most sarcastic and demeaning things as Christ hangs on the cross. And they are just tormenting him with their sarcasm and their supposed moment of triumph. And uh, we think of Judas, uh, who's probably in the process of braiding his rope as Jesus is nailed to the cross. But uh, we think of this tremendous sense of injustice 
But I'd suggest to you that all of that is our romantic side. That is all our self-righteousness that thinks these things, that somehow, that somehow we would have been different. And so on the other side of the truth of the rejection of Christ is the far deeper truth that even though it was probably the most unjust act that has ever happened to this point in history, it had to be done, and it was done in the only way that it could be done. Because the Scriptures tell us very clearly that the Father made His Son to be sin for us. Unless we lose sight of in looking at all the injustice, Christ had to be treated this way in order to accomplish the work that needed to be done for our salvation. If indeed Christ became sin for us, if Christ took my sin upon himself, what do my sins deserve? If I was hanging on that cross, all of the injustice all of a sudden would seem just. I would be getting exactly what I deserved. I deserve to hang on a cross a thousand times over. The guilt, the blasphemy of my sin against the Heavenly Father deserves the cross. And therefore, by Christ taking my sin upon Himself, the response, even of those who did not mean well, was actually fulfilling the justice of God as my sin was being paid for. The absolute rejection of Christ was the just result of Christ taking my sin and your sin upon Himself. Stand again with me if you would.
So now we get to look at the second thief for a moment. The second thief on the cross. I appreciate the message, Pastor Kelly. And um, these two thieves, they they heard the same things. They were living the same moment. Uh, it was something that you and I have never experienced, nor will we ever experience. We're never going to be crucified, although... Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But physically, we're not going to die that way. So this man, if if I were to throw out a a verse and say the first line, I bet you 95% of you, if not 100%, would be able to finish it or at least say the next line. For God so loved the world. Very good. Now let's try a hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Very good. You've just proven my point about something. What happened to that second thief while he was hanging on that cross? Because the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark, say that he was railing against Jesus just like his buddy over across the way. Both thieves were reviling Jesus. Both thieves were mocking him. Both thieves were were throwing things at him just like the whole crowd was. But something changed. Something happened. What was it that could have possibly happened? 
While hanging there on the cross, his heart changed. The only thing that makes any sense to me is in reading the scripture is that he heard what Jesus was saying while he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the very first line of Psalm 22. If you go to Psalm 22 with me, if you have your Bible, look at Psalm 22. The Psalms were the songbook for the Jews. You know, scriptures don't give us every detail of every story. But the scriptures will always give us enough so that we know exactly what's being said. The Lord always gives us enough that we can hang our faith on something solid. We don't know anything about this thief. We don't know his name. We don't know his upbringing. We know he made some wrong decisions in life. We knew, you know, we know he made a few wrong choices, and there he is hanging on a tree for his crimes. We don't know what kind of faith he had, if any, but it wouldn't take a rocket scientist to think, well, he could have grown up in a Jewish home. Look at what Psalm 22 says. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? The Jewish families would memorize the Psalms. They would memorize these things. The very last phrase in Psalm 22, he hath done this. The original language can also be translated exactly, it is finished. And here's this thief And he's being crucified on one side of Jesus and the other thief on the other side of Jesus. And they're both mocking him at one point. And all of a sudden, something changes inside that second thief. And he realizes what is going on. If you look, if you're still there in Psalm 22, you're smarter than I am because I lost my place here. It is Psalm 22. Look look and see what it says here. Verse 8, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. He was hearing people shout that out. If you're the, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Ask your Father to take you and deliver you from all this. What's going on if you are really the Messiah? If you look at Isaiah chapter 53, Kelly uh, mentioned Isaiah chapter 53, I believe. And here's, here's another part of that. It's Isaiah 53. I won't read the part that he wrote, or that he read, I'm sorry. Um, but let's, let's go ahead and read verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. His brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So openeth, not, so openeth he not his mouth. He was, of all the executions that had taken place in history up to that point, I'll guarantee you not one of them had a guy that was being executed that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You can imagine the soldier standing there saying, did he just say what I think he said? Because everyone else is cursing and everyone else is mad and everyone else that we've ever executed is professing their innocence and, and is, is cursing us. And, and he's asking God to forgive us. That thief heard what Jesus said. 
He heard him say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And just like you could quote the next line of John 3.16 and the next line of amazing grace, Spurgeon says that he thinks that it's very possible that Jesus was saying this entire Psalm 22, even though it's not recorded in Scripture. But he, he said the first line. He said the last line. And in Isaiah 53, it, it, it mentions how the, the soldiers were casting lots for his clothes. And here's this thief. It's like all of a sudden it clicks. All of a sudden he's realizing, this is what I was taught my whole life. He is the Messiah. And he could remember Psalm 22. And he could remember Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He's, he is remembering. And he, his heart is broken. And at that moment, the first thief starts in again. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. And he's had all he can take. He says, man... Can't you just be quiet? Don't, don't you have any fear of God? Knowing that we are in the same condemnation? He recognized Jesus as God. He recognized his own sin. We may not know all the details of the story, but we know that much. He recognized Jesus as God. He recognized himself as a sinner. He said, we, we deserve what we're getting. We're receiving this justly because of our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he calls on the Lord. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what he does. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He knew that he was coming to establish his kingdom one day. Talk about a transformation going from reviling Christ on the cross to recognizing him as the son of God, the Messiah that was coming to establish his kingdom and himself as a sinner. And all he could cry out was, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's where Pastor John is going to pick up the story. God bless you, folks.
It was finished on that cross. Okay, anybody from my congregation knows that I like to look around. Sometime during the service, sometimes with announcements, sometimes later, sometimes earlier. But I'm doing my smile check. It's to make sure you're all awake. And if you're not smiling... After what you've heard tonight, I feel sorry for you. Because what we've heard is absolutely amazing. <clears throat> the cross of forgiveness. Luke chapter 23. And I'm going to go, well, just, a, just a thought, I want to thank uh, uh, Richard and, and Kelly, it's it's always kind of risky when you have a couple other preachers in your pulpit and you say you got five to seven minutes. When you tell them that, their response is like, yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you, guys. But I'm going to go back on a couple of Richard's verses. 
I know mine is just verse 43, but verse 40 of Luke chapter 23, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? We can do a long dictionary study on the word forgiveness or uh, even pull out our Bible dictionaries and get theological with it, but I'm going to take a little different approach tonight. I'm going to take a rather simple approach. I don't think I need to go there because most of you know what forgiveness is. But what I want to read to you, and I appreciate going to the Psalms because that just reaffirmed to me because I'm going to go to the Psalms. And as I read, I want you to listen for the benefits of forgiveness. The benefits of what our Savior did for us. The blessings. And listen, listen to the words. If you have, you can follow with me. Psalm, I'm going to start in verse 30, or chapter 32. Listen. Listen to God's word. And listen for the benefits that we receive because of forgiveness. That which only God could do for us. I don't know which. I got, I got new glasses coming, but I'm not sure which way to do it here because they're not working well. The benefits, the blessings of forgiveness. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with fever in the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. It's one of the differences between Saul and David. Saul committed murder and adultery. But why did he have such a tight relationship with God? Because he took his sins to God and asked for forgiveness. He confessed and was forgiven. Last part of verse 5 again. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble, the benefits of forgiveness. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy for the word of the Lord to the upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. We might question that in our days. But God's word says it, so it's true. We need to find it. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. I'm going to drop down to verse 18 in chapter 33. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Did you hear that? Do you remember as Richard was talking about the two thieves on the cross? And why the change? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is what comes about when we experience his forgiveness and know the freedom and and the the freedom in our hearts that forgiveness gives us that we don't Get bogged down with that guilt. I'm going to start there again. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt her. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Do you get that? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, Christ, our heavenly father, and rescues them. Oh, taste 
and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. Look back in Luke with me. Luke chapter 23 and verse 40. The one thief says to the other thief, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Let me read that last verse in Psalms again. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. Do you not even, back to Luke, do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And down to verse 43, and he said to him, Jesus said to the repentant thief, Truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. His sins were forgiven. He didn't have to carry that guilt to his death because Jesus Christ knew his heart, was aware of that change that Richard was talking about. I don't know about you, but I enjoy the benefits of forgiveness. Not because of anything that I have done, but because of who he is and what he did for me. And there isn't a person here that cannot experience that same forgiveness, that same freedom, freedom from guilt. And I pray that you would know that freedom tonight, that freedom of forgiveness, so that when our earthly time is done, that we will know and spend eternity with our Savior. Stand with me if you would, and we'll sing our